Um, okay, I'm just going to get started because we literally have so much to talk about. Um, and I'm so excited just to get going here. I do want to say before we before I start asking the questions that um, we will be talking about eating disorder recovery and just some topics that this is just a trigger warning um, in case you feel comfortable at all at any point during our conversation, please feel free to just hop off the call um, and then hop back in if you feel comfortable. So just wanted to put that out there as well as this is being recorded, but what is only being recorded is us five talking. Um, so if you decide to interact and unmute and talk or even ask a question in the chat, none of that will actually be seen with your name or anything like that. Um, and you're more than welcome to turn off your camera as well as change your name if you feel more comfortable. But with that, I would love to get started because I don't wanna waste any time or take away any time from questions. Um, if you can all please introduce yourselves to the audience, give us a little bit more of your background and who you are. Like, do you have an order that you want us to go in? No, you can just unmute and go. Okay, hi, I'm Lindsay. Um, I'm Lindsay Herod. I'm an LA-based trainer and group fitness instructor. I'm born and raised in Southern California, and I've been in LA for about 10 years now. Um, I've been an athlete my entire life, and I modeled for about 10 years, which led me down a really kind of dark path um, with body dysmorphia, and I really lost kind of myself, my confidence, my self-worth in that industry, um, and went on my own mental and physical well-being kind of journey, um, and had a total body and mind set shift, and then decided to make a career out of it because it was so impactful for me, and I wanted to help as many other women as possible with that same thing, so... I guess I'll go ahead. Hello, everyone. My name is Jesse. Um, I a little bit about me. I struggled with uh, food and body image issues for over ten years, and uh, it was very, very debilitating for me. It affected every single area of my life, and I did a lot of things in my journey to try and conquer those struggles. I went to therapy. I was an Overeaters Anonymous. I tried everything. I went into competing, thinking that would bikini competitions, thinking that would be the solution that only exacerbated. Uh, my struggles. And by the time I finally crawled out of that, uh, what I call a mental hell hole, I felt like I had a moral obligation to help women who are struggling. And so I went back to school to the Institute for the Psychology of Eating to become certified to help others who are struggling with binge and emotional overeating body image challenges. And so that's what I've been doing uh, for the last three and a half years. That's my passion to see women find uh, freedom from food and body image challenges because I know how uh, debilitating it can be. So that's a little bit about me. Um, yeah, and what I'm passionate about. I can go next. I'm Shauna Felici. I'm a holistic nutritionist and wellness chef. I'm from New York and I lived in Los Angeles for six and a half years where I had a private meal delivery service for the cast of a TV show. But really what led me down this path was a background of dancing, a background of modeling and growing up in a time when tabloid culture was really big and having one sort of image of what quote unquote should be the body type. And I spent my late teens and early twenties living in Manhattan, New York and modeling and living alone. And it was a really, really dark time. I was binge eating at night. I was working, I was going to school. I was supporting myself and 
going out really late. And I was just in this continuous shame cycle for years and years. And when I lived and when I moved to Los Angeles, I slowly started reconnecting with who I really knew I was in my soul and doing the things that I loved to do when I was little. And that kind of led me on this healing path that I didn't even mean to go down. And after I kind of came through on the other end, I said, you know what, I, I have something here and I want to help other people do this too. So I went back to school, started my practice and seven years later, here I am. And I'm now based in Miami. Hi, everybody. My name is Sam. I am a health and wellness coach. My journey really started when I was pretty young. I went to the doctor and the doctor told me that I was overweight and that I needed to lose it, which really catapulted this obsession and um, just insecurity that took years and years for me to finally resolve. And I thought that the way to resolve that was through studying nutrition. I got my degree from uh, in, in nutritional science and then my master's in kinesiology and sport nutrition. So really investing in like the physical component of what healthy looks like and to only find out, you know, once I reached that kind of like pinnacle fitness peak that it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't something that I was able to maintain and also be mentally well. So then it really put me back to square one where I had to better understand what healthy really means and what it looks like for me, which is what I really teach off of and guide people through now is that health isn't just this physical outcome. There's so many other things that lead to fulfillment and happiness and health and that it's not just this one thing that we often try and focus most of our time and attention on. It's this much wider, um, thing to focus on. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you guys so much for sharing. I forgot I didn't even introduce myself, but um, you have all been so tremendous in my personal eating disorder recovery. I am a founder of Snack With Market. Um, I was, I just graduated college and um, all throughout high school and college and probably ever since I was like 10, I always suffered from body image issues, low confidence, um, was diagnosed with an eating disorder in high school, anxiety, depression, all that fun stuff. Um, and following content creators like you is how I began um, making sense of it all. And that's what got me to get the help that I need. And, um, and that's what ultimately led to my recovery. So I wanna thank you all so, so much for being so honest and vulnerable and real. This is literally why I started hashtag no filter. So we can get content creators and entrepreneurs like you all to share. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Like this means so much to me. Um, so diving right in hashtag no filter. I purposely made it around this time of year because for me and for many other women, it's the most triggering. We have Thanksgiving next week. Um, and whether that's a family relative who says something triggering or just you're not having full control over what you're eating. And there's a lot of dishes that you normally don't eat. Like what are some tips that you have for those that struggle to enjoy food that's prepared at large celebration dinners? So I have something to kind of start the conversation on. And one thing that's helped me a lot through my recovery is having really difficult conversations with people 
you either see frequently or people that you see rarely at family events like holidays where you're potentially like putting yourself in front of a bunch of triggers, whether you feel you're newly into recovery or you've been at it for a long time, those things can be really difficult. Those conversations can be really difficult, but they can also be really healing to let others know what you're going through and maybe a role that they can play in helping support you through those things can be extremely helpful. And again, like one of the most beneficial things that I did for my recovery was having really healing conversations with my parents, especially because that's where a lot of my issues stemmed from was growing up and my family's very food oriented. My dad loves like giving people more and saying like, oh, you have to have this. And so like, that was something for me to talk about, especially with my dad of I, every time you push food on me, I feel extremely uncomfortable. So again, having those conversations, though they may be difficult, can be extremely rewarding. Yeah, I uh, love everything that Sam said. Um, I have a number of just super practical tips as well for navigating the holiday food scene. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot that goes into healing your relationship with food and body, setting boundaries, having difficult conversations, but with, you know, with Thanksgiving, uh, being next week and, you know, Christmas being in a number of weeks, just some things that are really, really practical that will help regulate and calm your nervous system are, and this might sound a little bit weird. I just made a TikTok video, uh, sharing this strategy. But when you go into a holiday event, a holiday party, social food scene, think about slowing down, slow down how fast you walk, slow down your movements, slow down your speech and watch how it helps slow down and regulate your nervous system. A lot of the, a lot of times the struggles with food are coming from an activated and anxious nervous system. So during the holidays, especially a lot of us deal with even more heightened anxiety. And if you struggle with food at the holidays, you're in the presence of all of this, you know, all this really good food that maybe you've deemed off limits, or maybe it's just a whole, a whole bunch more food than you're normally around. And you get into those environments and you're already anxious, your nervous system is activated. If we can do things like breathe more deeply, move more slowly, it really helps calm down what's going on inside. And if we have a more regulated and calm nervous system, it's going to help reduce feelings of impulsivity. So that's just a really practical tip that you can use. I also, if you want a bunch of, um, a bunch of tips on navigating the holiday food scene, I actually put together. Um, and Sophia, if it's okay, I'll share. It's totally free. It's a guide. Um, Sam was talking about food pushers. That's one of the, um, one of the videos we share in this guide. It's just a free guide on how to navigate food pushers, how to navigate, uh, diet culture talk around, um, around the holidays, how to navigate sweets and desserts, how to navigate um, being anxious and being activated. So um, totally free guide on just some tips because I know the holidays can be, be really challenging. Yeah, Jesse, that would be great if you can link that. Yeah, totally. I um, love those tips, Jesse. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Lindsay. Oh, you're good, babe, go Shauna. I wanted to add a couple other practical tips too that I love. Um, one for me that I have, that I used to do not do. And now I do is never really showing up hungry, like super hungry. I find that to be very, very triggering. So having, I call it a modern parfait. So it's your, whatever 
yogurt you're eating with some flaxseed or psyllium husk for fiber. You can even use chia seed if that doesn't, it upsets my stomach for fiber, which will keep you really full and then some protein powder. So then you have your protein, your fat and your fiber really holding you over, which will really help with your, your sugar levels, which help with the cravings in your mood and energy levels. So that in and of itself helps with your nervous system. And then the morning of the large event, whether it's the dinner or the family gathering, I love to take some time. One of the pillars of my practice is alone time. So whether that's meditating for five minutes in the morning, just being quiet, you could even just lie in bed quietly. During that time, I really like to picture myself in the environment I'm going to be in, interacting the way Jesse is explaining, calm, centered, confident, really self-assured and picture how I want to behave in that environment. And lastly, with the alone time, I find energy of others to be very triggering, especially walking into all of that and the music and the, and the smells and the sounds of the clinking, all of it. I always go to the bathroom and I just take a breather. I like, will chill out in there, take as much time as I need and just like spend some time in the restroom. Even if it's in a stall in a, in a public restroom, it's very helpful for me. Love that Shauna. Um, I guess um, I only really have like one practical tip, but there's something else that I kind of wanted to touch on. But for me, really, my biggest practical tip is staying hydrated, like drinking so much water, especially if you're consuming alcohol. Maybe you're like around family members that you're like, I need a glass of wine around this person. Staying hydrated really helps. And obviously, the more alcohol that you're consuming, the more likely I am to like reach for munchies or go back for seconds or carbs or whatever it may be. So just really being mindful about staying hydrated, especially to a lot of the times when I'm just like at my parents' house or families for the holidays. I'm not that active. We're kind of just laying around and enjoying each other's company. Um, so I just think like really staying hydrated is my biggest tip. Um, but I did want to say also, I'm really passionate about changing people's relationship and mindsets with food and with fitness and all about balance. And I think it's just really important to give yourself grace during these times because the holidays are meant to be enjoyed with your family. And you are like, it's okay. It's okay to have some foods that you wouldn't normally have. There's a difference between indulging and overindulging, you know, like you can have the cookie. You don't need to have 15 cookies. Um, but I just think it's really important to allow yourself these times to enjoy and celebrate with your family and not be so hard on yourself. I agree. That, that leads perfectly to my next question, which is, something that a lot of women have trouble with is exercise and intuitive exercise. I have a two-part question for this topic. The first part is how to cope with the guilt feeling of not working out every day. Um, I'll definitely take it away on this one. Um, this is something that I like preach all of the time. Um, you don't have to work out every day. I think this is again, kind of like where I come in for me and my approach with my clients and changing their relationship with fitness um, is taking recovery days. You're doing so much for your body when you're taking recovery days and you're not working out every single day. You're not building muscle when you're working out, you're building muscle on your days off. That's when your body's repairing itself. Um, and people get so fixated on 
having to sweat and move every single day. I'll even ask you like, why aren't you signing up for active recovery classes? And they're like, it doesn't burn any calories. Like people are just so fixated on, especially now everyone has their Apple watch and they're just like constantly checking to see how many calories they burn throughout their workout. And they're just kind of obsessing about that rather than really making the focus about getting stronger and healthier and boosting your mood and like their why behind why they're moving their body. So, um, yeah, there, there definitely is like a lot of guilt and shame, I think, towards people taking days off, but your days off are so important and you have to listen to your body. I love that. I'm really passionate about movement. I grew up dancing and it's a really big part of my life. And I actually have a little bit of an injury right now. So I've really had to pull back on the workouts and mentally I'm having a, a bit of a hard time just like letting go of some extra energy and stress. Um, but the biggest thing for me was letting go. I used to like go through these spurts where I would completely indulge overindulge when I was in very dark times and then write down my new goals. And in my new goals would be these really unattainable goals, similar to like, um, like a new year's resolution. Like I'm going to do this, this, and this, but new year's resolutions don't work because we haven't done any of the work to lead up to the goal that we're looking for. So starting super small and the minute I came to this realization. I said, I'm going to work out as many times as I can and feel like this week and all of the weeks I let go of like, it had to be X amount of days or it had to be this perfect workout. I had a, and I had it all charted out and I was like, what am I doing? And it became more intuitive. And I always say, don't underestimate the power of a walk. Walking is extremely powerful, especially for the days that you're resting and you want to reap the mental benefits of just moving your body. Awesome. I was going to ask about intuitive exercising and Shauna, I think that you answered that perfectly. Um, next question is weight gain. Um, this is a topic that is so feared by so many people and a big reason why a lot of people who have eating disorders are scared of going through recovery. I would love to talk about this topic more in depth. Um, how to cope with the fear of gaining weight and what are some things that people can do to accept their bodies in the now of where they are in this moment? Yeah, I love this. I know that, um, the fear of a changing body is one of the things that keep people stuck in the cycles of eating disorders and these self-sabotaging behaviors. And I think a great place to start, um, is to identify what you have associated weight gain to mean. And I, I love the activity of getting out a journal and just writing down all the things that weight gain has come to mean for you. And for me, when I was really struggling with body image challenges, and I was in the cycles of binge and emotional overeating weight gain for me, I had all these ideas around it and it meant failure. It meant that I was undisciplined. It meant that I was weak. It meant that I was letting myself go. And when I started to look into those fears and I started to disassociate that meaning with waking and start associating for, for me, I, I, I needed to start surrendering a little bit and I needed to allow my body to ebb and flow and do what it needed, especially as I was, um, kind of learning to not white knuckle food. And as my body was changing and as I was, you know, gaining, I, when I went through recovery, I was gaining and I was losing weight. My body was doing a bunch of different things. Um, I had to start associating weight gain 
to mean surrender, to mean um, for me, it meant that I was um, gaining back my period. It meant that I was uh, gaining freedom from food and I wasn't so neurotic around food. Um, and so I started to kind of change my association with what uh, weight gain meant. So um, that's that was really helpful for me. And I think looking at some of our fears and asking, you know, do I really believe that, you know, uh, love is only available in a smaller body? Do I really believe that um, confidence is only available in a smaller body? Do I really, and like asking ourselves these deep questions, kind of dissecting all of our fears around weight gain and our ideas about weight loss and being in a smaller body and just starting to look at it a little bit more instead of letting it kind of exist in kind of our subconscious. If we pull it forward and we start to dissect it, I think we can uh, break down some of the fear. I love that so much. Asking questions for me has been a huge changing point in how I look at the world and the reality that I live in. And I often get, get asked by clients and by people who are just curious, like, um, like they'll kind of start the conversation by, I feel so terrible. I've gained all this weight and I just feel so bad about myself. I feel bad about how I look. I feel bad about how I feel. And one thing that I've realized through my own experience, very similar um, to Jesse, is that me, like my weight gain was actually like the way I felt was more associated with my actions than it was necessarily with the byproduct of, of those actions. So yes, maybe I gained weight, maybe I wasn't feeling good, but what are the reasons why I wasn't feeling very good? How, what was I doing in terms of self-care that wasn't allowing me to feel at my best or feel energized or to feel well rested or to feel clear in my thoughts, like all of those things had a much deeper meaning and why I felt that way. And weight gain is just, I mean, it's something that we all experience and we will experience the rest of our lives. Same thing with weight loss. Like it's your body is meant and created to change. And that's one of the most beautiful things that, you know, our body allows us to do and being afraid of change in any direction is only going to hold you back and really embracing this grandest version of yourself. Because if you don't have a clear picture of what that looks like, it can be even better than anything you could possibly imagine. So it's opening yourself up to the possibilities of more and of greater without holding on to this idea of what it looks like. Mm. So good. I love that, Sam. I also think it for me, it has taken me out when I have obsessive thoughts, it takes me out of the present and enjoying the activity I'm engaging in or the people I'm with, which is what life is about. And I actually contributed on push right after quarantine about quarantine 15. And one of the things I talked about in there, and I was a little bit nervous to share it with push. And I'm so happy that they actually went with the story because it's a little bit like wooey, but I spoke about when I gain a little bit of weight and I really look back in retrospect, it's typically a time that I was really stressed, unhappy. My cortisol levels were super high and our bodies hold on to fat when we're, when we're stressed out. And when it's time for me to want to take that off or just spend a little extra time nurturing slowly in a way that feels non-dogmatic and graceful, I will actually look in the mirror, touch my body and just say, thank you so much for protecting me and being there when I needed you. And I'm ready to let you go now. And that switch of a narrative is 
just, it's been everything to me because I can't be hard on myself anymore. And sometimes I am, but I always am working to be kind and sweet and how I would treat my friend. Love that so much. I'm kind of piggybacking off of everyone here because everyone's made so many amazing points. Um, but I think for me, I'm kind of piggybacking off of Shawnee here. When I feel like when I was struggling the most with my body image and my weight, I was so obsessed about it. And I was stressed all of the time. Like my body was just in this constant state of fight or flight and like cortisol was just like through the roof. And when I was able to want to like identify what your triggers are, you know, like throw away the scale, or if you are obsessing about the numbers that you're burning on your Apple watch, identify those triggers and be able to remove yourself from them. I have not weighed myself in probably like seven years. I have no idea what I weigh. I do not care. Once I was able to like remove myself from those triggers and stop stressing and obsessing about it so much, like honestly, my weight just kind of fell off. Like my body was like she was saying, storing fat and holding onto it so much because I was constantly stressed and obsessed about it. So I think identifying those triggers is really, really important. Um, and also kind of what Jesse was saying is asking yourself really like, where does your self-confidence come from? This is something that I feel like I get asked on social media so much. Like people think I'm just so confident. They're like, where do you, how do you build self-confidence? And it has nothing to do with my physical appearance. Like my self-confidence really comes from the way I show up for myself, the way I speak to myself, treat myself, the way I show up for others. You have to find what it is in your life that makes you feel confident that has nothing to do with your weight or what you look like. Um, and I think that that helps a lot with the fear of gaining weight as well. Thank you guys so much for sharing. Those were so helpful. Um, one of my favorite topics during hashtag no filter is uncovering diet culture myths. There are so many diet culture trends all the time, whether that's intermittent fasting, carbs are bad for you, lifting weights and makes you bulky. The list goes on and on. I'd like for you to share one myth from each of you that you've seen in the space that is detrimental to our health or our lifestyle. I'll start. <laughs> Um, this is like kind of a broad category, but all of the different TikTok recipe things that typically are some fluid of some kind, I feel like through the decades, there's always been some kind of cocktail or some mystery drink that has helped, you know, someone, usually a celebrity lose a ton of weight. And all of those are just anything I think that excludes a, either category of foods or, you know, really restricts you in any capacity. That's something that I've learned to let go completely to protect my mental health, whether it be like removing a macronutrient or, you know, really anything that's not a dietary necessity, like I'm not allergic to it, or it doesn't upset my stomach. Like those are okay, but anything that is restrictive has always been a trigger for me. And I think that's just something that most people should look into. You know, you shouldn't restrict anything, regardless of your goals, always feel like you can have, you know, whatever you want in moderation and make that a part of your plan, especially if you want sustainable results and you want a sustainable lifestyle, something that gives you energy and is again, something that you can sustain for, you know, the rest of your life. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I think one of the biggest myths that I believed for so long was that uh, losing weight was the key to my confidence, the key to my happiness, and also that thinness equaled health. 
And when I was at my very smallest competing, uh, my hair was falling out. I had acne all over my face. My sex drive was non-existent. I was hardly sleeping. I was so emaciated at one point when I was, when I looked the healthiest or looked the leanest, um, that I could hardly walk through the airport without bracing myself and holding on to different things, the wall, the rails, whatever it was, uh, because I was so emaciated. And yet that was, that was my goal to get to that point. I had no energy. I was neurotic with food. I was short tempered. Um, and I also thought that, you know, getting to that point, I would feel super confident. And the reality of that was I still didn't feel good enough when I was standing on stage at my absolute leanest being compared to a whole bunch of other women standing on stage in bikinis. I still didn't feel good enough. And I don't know if you've ever lost weight and you thought like, oh, once I get there, um, I'm going to be more confident. And you get to that point and you're not confident. There's always something more, something you're picking apart. And then maybe you weight rebound, you gain it back and you look at pictures and you're like, why wasn't I happy then? And I think that just goes to show it's never really been about our weight. So, um, I think that's one of the biggest, the biggest myths that I see in diet culture. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to piggyback off of you because I have a similar experience. I competed as well. And I think it was the least confident I've ever been in my entire life. Mm -hmm. um, and my weight fluctuated so much when between shows, because I would be dieting down and being so extreme and restricting myself so much, lifting weights, doing so much cardio. Um, and then after, after competing, I would just start, you know, eating normal foods again and not slowly introducing those foods back into my diet. And I would gain a ton of weight quickly. And then I would have to cut it all off again when I was going to compete again. Um, mm -hmm. and it was extremely unhealthy. And that was kind of what sent me down my journey towards finding balance. Um, so just piggybacking off of that. And yeah, that's it. That was the leanest I ever was. And it was mentally the worst I ever was. Um, but kind of staying in that same realm, I would like to address the lifting weights, making you bulky, because this is something that I'm so passionate about. Um, strength training is like the absolute best way to change your body composition, especially as women. It's so important for our bone density. I think people just think that doing hours and hours of cardio is the answer. Um, and strength training is so, so, so important. Um, bulking is extremely challenging. There's a reason why not everyone's a power lifter in order to bulk. Like you have to consume so many calories and lift such heavy weight to put on bulky muscle, but strength training is the best way to, like I said, to affect your body composition and gain lean muscle. And the more muscle that you have, the less body fat that you're going to have, the more calories you're going to burn at your resting state throughout the day. Um, so lifting weights will not make you bulky. I promise it will make you lean. It will make you fit. It will make you strong. All of the positive things. I'm with you, Lindsay. I was going to address that too. Um, and in addition to all of the positive benefits of having more muscle mass in your body and, and helping with your metabolism, it also helps with any sort of insulin resistance. So you're just doing so many incredible things in your body when you have muscle in there. Um, so definitely when I'm working out, I'm always focusing on my formal workouts on, on resistance training and, and doing weights. And it has made a profound difference in my life and you just feel strong and amazing. Um, and then I'll touch a little bit on fasting. I think there's a, this really big misconception that fasting's like some people view it as like the end all be all 
most clients come to me having tried fasting unsuccessfully. And many times it's because many of us are going about it wrong, especially as women, we have hormones and they're changing every week. And we have outside stressors in our lives that naturally are raising our cortisol levels. So fasting will is a stress on the body. And there are positive stressors in that we're supposed to have as humans. So fasting is one of them. Heat is another one and cold is another one. And it makes us stronger. There's a term called anti-fragility and it helps us physically and mentally. So some fasting can be really good, but when we're doing it in a way where many clients or even friends of mine are like, oh, I had pasta last night. I'm going to fast tomorrow. That's not intermittent fasting. It's a way of depriving. And it, it kind of, in my opinion, it, it falls a bit into disorderly eating. So fasting and intermittent fasting can really even just look like resting with snacking between meals. So there's a lot of benefits of doing that. So a great way to introduce some fasting into your life to sustain your energy levels and reap some of the benefits is by eating meals that are filling and sustaining you and also making you feel great and cutting back on the snacking between meals. So your body can digest and have more energy between the meals. And you'll find that not only do you have more energy between meals, but your brain is sharper and you have less, um, uh, brain fog. So that to me is like my favorite way to recommend fasting. It doesn't have to be this big thing, 16, all these hours that people talk about. I think it, it can be very small and um, very impactful. Thanks guys for sharing all of that. I know debunking myths, like I said, is one of my faves because I and so many women are seeing all these myths all the time as we scroll on our Instagram feed, what our what our favorite content creators are posting. And we automatically think that what's doing good for them is going to be doing good for us, which is completely not the case. I do want to switch gears and talk about relationships and loved ones. So I have personally found it really hard at times to be in, to be in a relationship while I'm in my eating disorder. It's really hard to be honest and vulnerable with a significant other, especially when you're at your lowest. For me personally, I shut off and I don't even want to talk. And that's not good because that's when I should be reaching out and asking for help. But that's really difficult. So I would love um, advice for you to give for people who are in relationships, but also are having a hard time with their mental health. Is there something that they can say that's easy breezy, but their partner would, would you know catch on really quickly? Or yeah, if there's anything that you recommend to them. This is not my expertise, so I'm gonna tap out. Um, I'm definitely not a relationship expert, but I um, I think what's really powerful is if you're struggling with food and uh, body image challenges, I, re I recorded a podcast on this because I know it's really hard when you're dealing with it in your own head and you don't really know like you're trying to navigate the challenge and you're, it's confusing for you because you're in it and you're not really sure what to say to your partner because you're in it and you're feeling insecure about it. Um, I talked about ways to, on the podcast, I talked about ways to 
share it with your partner. But some of my, some of the biggest tips I shared was when you approach somebody about it, whether it's your partner or whether it's a roommate or whether it's a parent or a trusted friend, whomever it might be, to start by letting them know that and this is important because a lot of times when you tell some somebody something heavy and they love you, they want to try and fix it, especially if it's a male, they go into fix it mentality and they probably don't know how to fix it. And that can that can be worse off because you're like, OK, I'm not trying to have you fix it. So by starting the conversation, by saying something to the effect of I want to share something with you that I'm navigating and I'm really not looking unless you are looking for advice. I'm really not looking for advice. I just want to get this off my chest so I can come out of isolation and be open about what I'm going through. And so as I share this, know that I'm not expecting you to come with advice or try and fix it. I just want to be open and vulnerable with you. And um, I'll share with you how I'm looking for support so you don't have to try and figure out how to best support me. And the way I would like support right now is just for you to listen. And I think that can help alleviate the pressure on the party that's listening. And then go ahead and just word vomit. You don't have to have something composed. You can just say whatever's on your heart. You can say what, you know, I'm, the first time I told somebody that I was struggling in my relationship with food, I was so nervous that I, I was white in the face and it just came out in this like blubbery mess of tears and I'm struggling with food and I don't really know what I'm doing. And all she said was, I don't really understand what that's like because she didn't struggle but we'll get through this. And that was all I needed to hear. And it felt so relieving just for somebody to know. So I think it is important to come out of isolation and tell somebody that you love, um, but kind of prefacing with you're not looking for advice or you, or this is how you can best support me. I think that can really help. And then just sharing what it looks like for you, sharing how you feel with food, how you feel with body, how, how you feel with this mental health challenge. And then maybe if you have uh, support that you're getting, share with them how you're working on it how you're getting support and maybe tell them you'll check in with them or you'll bring it up when you want to talk about it in the future but you just wanted to get it off your chest so that's that's some advice that might be helpful i really agree with that particularly because like i've been in a relationship similarly where i felt like i didn't want to be alone in this but i also i mean in retrospect i did kind of ask for support, I guess, but in a way that I didn't really know what kind of support I wanted or needed. And in retrospect, I, I do think that putting pressure on your partner to give you something that you don't know what you need or to give you something that they're not equipped to provide you can put a lot of unnecessary and unhealthy pressure on your relationship. So finding somebody who can properly help you through these things, I think is also really important not relying on your partner to be the solution for all of your problems, because a lot of this is internal and it is very independent, like you have to do on your own, which can be really lonely. And I think that obviously like having a partner there is really nice, but, um, you know, coming from the approach of, you know, finding somebody who can adequately help you through what you're struggling with, I also think is really important. Yeah. I mean, um, I haven't struggled in that department, but kind of similarly last year during quarantine was the first time in my life that I ever really experienced and struggled with like massive anxiety and having really bad anxiety attacks. And I had never had them before. So this was something that I was navigating on my own for the first time. And I definitely felt frustrated because my fiance at the time 
didn't know how to support me. I would kind of tell him like, I'm having a really crippling anxiety right now. And I don't know how to deal with it. And I didn't know how to ask for support because it was something new that I was going through and he didn't know how to offer it. And so I just love Jesse's advice so much because I think I really did just want someone to make me feel heard or to just sit with me and comfort me and not necessarily find a solution. You know, he would kind of just like throw random things like just breathe. Like, can not think of that, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, and I think we ended up both getting frustrated with each other and it did put a strain on our relationship. Um, and looking back, I wish I would have like heard Jesse say those words to me before, because I could have just said like, listen, I'm not looking for you to make my anxiety go away, but I just want you to hear me out or just sit on the couch with me. Um, yeah. And just show me support and comfort in that way. So I just think that's really great advice. And that advice can definitely go both ways, especially when others are struggling. I know a lot of our audience, like I just graduated college and I get messages a lot of the time going, my roommate is struggling, um, whether that's eating or just mental health in general, I don't know what's the best way to approach her. Do you guys have any advice for people who have loved ones that are struggling mentally? That's really hard because I think a lot of times when you are struggling, you don't want other people to know, like you don't want to talk about it. It's something that you are just embracing as like your own personal struggle and having the courage to speak with somebody or to even just want to change uh, can really hold a lot of people back. It took me honestly years to really want to change for myself. There were years leading up to that where I knew I was doing something that was not healthy. I knew it wasn't okay. And I knew that I needed help, but I didn't want it enough. And I'd have, I'd have people come up to me and not random strangers, but like my parents, they were worried about me, maybe friends. And it was an uncomfortable situation for someone to say something, but I also think that it did help. But I mean, but I also kind of like turned into a lie too, that I would just spin and turn things around. So you know, from my own personal perspective, I think that all you can really offer somebody is love and support. And when they're ready to make that change, they know they have you as somebody to talk to. They know they have you as like just this someone who loves them and can support them and whatever they need, they know they have somebody. You can't force someone into change. You can't, you know, really push someone in that direction. But I do think that you can say, hey, I love you. If I, if you're struggling, if you need anything, please know that I'm here and I will always be here for you. You're such an amazing person. And that's kind of how I think I would approach it as somebody who's gone through, you know, something that maybe someone, you know, is going through. Um, I have had actually had family members who have struggled um, with mental issues with eating. And it was really challenging because of someone that was a family member that was very close to me. And I was very concerned, but I didn't want to offend them or, make them feel worse about it by bringing attention to it or calling it out. Um, and so instead I really just decided to open up to this person about things that I was struggling with and kind of come to them and ask for their support for something so that they knew that it was a safe space when the time came that they did feel comfortable enough to reach out and ask for help about it. So that's honestly what my best advice would be is if you have something that you're willing to be vulnerable with about them, like create that safe relationship so that when they do feel ready, you're the person they can come to. Two things I, I'd love to say and piggybacking a bit on Sam and Lindsay. I think when I was going through disorder eating and really I, 
nobody in my family were to see me and and think that I was doing well. But I think it was to this point of not wanting to insult or make someone feel bad who's clearly already not doing well. But I do wish, and I try to do this with friends who are struggling in any capacity or I know whether it's work or anything going on, I try just to like show them some extra attention. And I wish that somebody was at the time maybe was like, just be like, hey, how are you doing? Maybe they were, and I was young and I didn't realize they were doing it. But now if someone else is going through it, I, I kind of like in my own way without verbally saying I'm here for you, I'm, I'm there for them. And the other thing I wish I learned sooner is that we need one another and community is such a, without community, everything else really just falls flat and community is one of the pillars of my practice. And many times, like what Lindsay is saying, when I have opened up just about my own struggles for my own sort of benefit or just wanting to get it out there with someone I trust, they then open up about their struggles. Really, it was for me, but then they do it. And then all of a sudden we're healing each other and all the shame is gone. And I leave being like, why didn't I just talk to someone about that sooner? Like at the end of the day, the only person that is feeling shame is you. And it was myself feeling those negative feelings. So everyone is there in your life who they love you. So, um, yeah, kind of from both sides. I think that's so important, especially because, I mean, when I was struggling, I thought I was the only one going through it. But then when you say the words out loud, it almost sounds so silly. And then when you start opening up, at least to someone, most likely than not, they feel almost similarly, or they know someone that has, and you just feel so much more less alone. And it really, really helps. Um, Selfishly, I want to know this question before we jump into career and female entrepreneurship. What are some of your, if you were to name some of your self-care rituals that are non-negotiable, what are they? Um, my biggest form of self-care, this is like something that has become so big for me this year, but I really think it is the strongest form of self-care. And for me, it's boundaries, like with everything, with work, friends, everything, just having boundaries and sticking to them to me is such a form of self-respect, self-love, self-care. Um, and you should never feel bad about it. So, um, I used to be really horrible with boundaries and it's something I've worked really, really hard on. And that's why I feel like it's really the biggest form of self-care because it's something that I've worked on for myself and I've benefited from it so much. Yeah. I love what Lindsay said so much. I think boundaries, we often think they're about pushing other people away, but really what boundaries are, are about creating a, uh, creating a greater safety zone for ourselves, And also they're an invitation to healthy connection. So when you set a boundary with somebody that's overstepping, um, you know, what feels comfortable for you, what you're doing is you're saying, Hey, I want to connect with you, but in a way that's healthy. Um, and I think that's so beautiful. So boundaries definitely are super, super important to me as well. And a really simple form of self-care that I use every single day is breath work. Um, and there's, you know, there's uh, more 
formal breathwork practices where you can, you know, lay down and do a 10, 15, 20 minute breathwork session. But really what I do is, um, throughout the day, multiple times throughout the day, I will notice my breathing pattern and each emotion has an associated breath pattern and anxiety is usually a pretty shallow breath. And I want to regulate my nervous system throughout the day. So I'll find myself when I'm getting anxious or I'm getting worked up or I'm feeling overwhelmed, breathing really shallow. And I'll just go into a triangle breath pattern, which is just inhale on the upslope, exhale on the downslope and a hold at the bottom. And I'll do five, 10, 15 triangle breaths to just bring myself back to baseline. And I found that as I do that throughout the day, throughout the weeks, year after year, what I've done is I've effectively expanded my ability to uh, cope with life. And what I'm able to handle now is much different than what I was able to handle when I was struggling with my eating and body image challenges. And I think that's in part one self-care practice breath work, but I think it's because, um, I've really focused on uh, emotional regulation and, and paying attention to how my nervous system responds to things. So uh, triangle breathing again is <sighs> hold. And so that's kind of a non-negotiable for me every day. And I do it so often that it's just become, it's kind of subconscious. It's like throughout the day when I get worked up, I'm like, Oh, just stop and breathe. I'll hop on this one. I, so growing up, I think I trained myself to be very, uh, unemotional and to disconnect from my emotions. So and I also use uh, food to cope with that as well. I used to binge eat a lot and it was my way to disconnect from everything else that was going on in my life. It was like, I would go into this void and I would, you know, watch TV or I'd do whatever. And I'd just eat. And I didn't learn how to deal with my emotions or how to really sit in my feelings until I became an adult. And actually in the last couple of years where now when I am feeling whatever I'm feeling, I like to just sit and sometimes I'll write a lot of times it'll just be on my phone. It doesn't even have to be handwritten and I'll just kind of develop the emotions into actual thoughts and put them on paper, get them fully out into sentences. And that helps me better understand what I'm going through. And instead of holding on to these feelings or suppressing them, I'm able to actually get them out which has been really helpful in navigating my relationship with food, but also my relationship with my feelings and how I can be a better, be better in relationships, but also especially that relationship with myself and understanding myself a little bit better. I love journaling too, for that reason. I sometimes have all of these feelings and I have no, I, like it's become so overwhelming. And then that's when I start to tap out and numb in various ways been very busy lately. So journaling is not part of my life at this time, but the balance of alone time and community time. So I, I'm creative. I'm also have a practice and using many parts of my brain. And it's really important for me to tap out and recharge and like, like be disconnected, but too much of that alone time makes me very weird. And I start to not be able to process everything. I start to feel very alone and isolated. So making sure I have things on the calendar, like last night I went out to dinner, I was out for two hours. I was able to not think about anything in my life and enjoy the people I was with. And then I came back home and did other things that I needed to do. So putting both of those things on the calendar are really important. And 
the first thing always for me is having food in my home that I know I can rely on that works for me. So I use my soul wellness method principles and methodology and those foods. I know what my baseline is and I know what I can eat or what I need to eat to feel my best mentally and physically during stressful times. And then that kind of allows me to go into the holidays with less restriction and be able to enjoy what's happening for those, this one month of the entire year. Great. And now for some female entrepreneurship questions. Um, I know so many of our audience have either wanting to start a business or are just interested um, in entrepreneurship in general. And I wanted to talk about the not so glamorous side of entrepreneurship that us, that we've all experienced uh, being female entrepreneurs. And I wanted to ask if you have ever felt worried that your side hustle or your business wasn't going to work out. There's so much stress. I know I feel it for sure that this isn't gonna be like the real deal. How do you stay motivated in those times? I've never in my mind thought that my business wasn't going to work out because I just have this vision that I hold so high. But what I have struggled with is getting to that place and working through the feelings of self-doubt or imposter syndrome and all these things that arise through just these everyday circumstances. And the other thing I have been worried about while I have this major vision of where I want it to be and what it is, and also allow it to move and change. I don't believe we should helicopter parent our businesses. Things are always changing. I never thought I would cook or get into food, but I did. Uh, there have been times where I've been worried about paying my rent or paying my bills or wondering where a payment is that's late on an invoice, but my business, no, that, that vision is very, very, is held very high. I'm like the opposite. I think every single day that I, this could be it. This is the end. Uh, I, I have those thoughts all the time, but I just don't let it become my reality and I don't let it be, consume me and actually pull me in that direction your thoughts are super strong and they're super powerful. And so, and I think that goes for, for any train of thought that might be negative, being able to kind of have that bird's eye view and say, okay, yeah, I just had this thought, like it's a real thought, it's a real possibility, but it's not the reality that I'm going to live and let control my actions and the rest of my life and what I do throughout the entire day. You gotta just keep pushing forward every day. Like I said, I have those thoughts of like, this is the end. <laughs> almost every day. And, but it, but it's a small moment of time. Um, I used to have them a lot with even feeling insecure or like I should get back into weight loss. Like I used to have those reoccurring thoughts of like, I should do that again. But then I would have that other voice in my head saying, no, like, that's not where you're going to take this. Like you're, you know, doing fine. You're doing great. Just keep pushing in that positive direction. The one that's going to get you to that greater goal. And that's really kind of how I approach that. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Lindsay. Okay, sure. Um, in terms of staying motivated, I think that it kind of comes down just some really similarly to your journey with fitness or whatever 
maybe in wellness, it kind of comes down to your why. I think if you're very passionate about what you're doing, you're going to find a way to make it work and be successful. For me, I'm so incredibly passionate about connecting with women, reaching women, helping them have transformations in their lives. I would do this every day for the rest of my life if I didn't make a penny from it. I showed up and taught free classes on Instagram for six months straight during the pandemic, you know? So I think if you're really passionate about it, like that's where your motivation is going to come from. So I know that's not necessarily advice for staying motivated. Um, but yeah, I, I believe that if you are starting a business or you're thinking about starting a business, as long as the passion and your heart is there, you're not going to lose the motivation. Mm, yeah. So good. I think connecting with your why and having, um, having a purpose, why are you doing this? Why is it meaningful work? And why is it uh, worthy of your suffering? Because you will suffer as an entrepreneur with your own thoughts, with struggling to get it going with, um, you know, imposter syndrome, comparing your business to other businesses, you know, seeing somebody's overnight success and wondering like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get there? But when I think for me being so connected to this being a worthwhile struggle, because life is a struggle in so many different ways, make sure it's worthwhile. I'm like, this is worthwhile impacting women who are struggling in their relationship with food and body. It's worth my struggle. It's worth the challenges. Um, that's been super helpful for me. And also I made a commitment to myself to do my best to stop comparing myself. I've seen people, I've been on social media since Instagram launch. I've seen people come up behind me and blow up and, you know, have all these opportunities. And I thought, you know what, if I'm a slow learner, if I, if I grow slow, if things happen slowly for me, that's okay. You know, I'm going to stop comparing myself and I'm just going to be grateful for, you know, what I've been entrusted with the influence I've been entrusted with the clients that I've been entrusted with and, um, really focusing on being super grateful and doing things with excellence for what you have, not maybe what you want as you work towards what you want. I think that's really helped me. And, uh, just knowing that it also ebbs and flows. There'll be times where you feel super confident and you have all these opportunities come your way and times where you're like, what's wrong with me? Why, you know, why doesn't anybody see me as worthy? And I think that's just, I think it's part of it and it's, it's normal. So good. Thank you guys so much for that. Um, I want to keep asking you so many questions, but I told myself that I'm going to stop talking at this time just so the audience members can feel free to ask you guys any questions. Um, you guys in the audience, you can unmute yourselves or you could chat it in the chat and then I'll read it out loud, whatever you all are comfortable with. But go ahead and ask away. I just got a question that I'll read out loud. Um, it says, hi, I was wondering if anyone has any advice on how to control cravings. I always feel as though I have to eat a whole box of cookies, of cookies instead of just eating one cookie. Sure, I'm happy to share. Um, this is as um, maybe straightforward and simple of a question as it is, it is pretty complex in that there's a lot of different factors at play when it comes to cravings. And I'll just speak from um, the, the mental health side of this, not the physical aspect of how cravings happen, but just mentally what can happen. And that, um, you know, I think when we have certain foods that we fear or certain foods that are off limits, um, what happens is we, we want the thing we tell ourselves we can't have. And, um, 
if food has this allure or this magic to it, um, in the healing journey of healing, you know, a disordered relationship with food, we have to introduce these trigger foods. We have to introduce, um, foods that maybe we feel like we're spiraling out of control around and have that food have less magic to it. And so when I'm leading my clients through this journey of healing, there's this phase that we call the messy middle, where we're introducing foods that were formerly off limits, foods that were once trigger foods. And as we give ourselves unconditional permission to eat those foods, and sometimes it looks messy when you're healing, um, eventually as we're working on our mindset around those foods and we're learning how to release guilt and shame and fear, um, the cravings and the impulsiveness towards those types of foods uh, begin to uh, subside. But there's also physical aspects when it comes to cravings and, you know, our hormones influence cravings. But I just wanted to speak from kind of the mindset around it. Um, if we fear certain foods, if we tell ourselves certain foods are bad, if we attach morality to food, we tend to obsess over it and, and we have more cravings with those foods. Cool. Thanks, Jesse, for answering that. Um, next question. How do I decipher between the ED voice and the healthy self voice? And how to know if I'm feeling of wanting to exercise is stemming from wanting to feel good or my eating disorder? I'll kind of speak from my experience with going through kind of my healing process with my eating disorder and also returning to this healthier lifestyle that I practice now when I, and I don't know if you've heard of this term before, it's kind of been very popular in like last few years of like going all in, right. Which is kind of what Jesse was talking a little bit too, like the messy middle, you're introducing these things and you're removing the requirement that you once placed on maybe only eating healthy foods or exercising in abundance. You're removing all of that restriction and allowing yourself to experience life in a different way. And that time span of experiencing life in that different way, it can take a varying amount of time. For me, it took maybe like a year and a half to finally feel like I had a different relationship with food and exercise to where I felt like I could adequately decipher the difference between requiring myself to eat or to participate in something versus feeling like it was coming from a healthier place, feeling like I really wanted to do these things instead of I had to do these things. So it takes a different amount of time for everybody. And I think that it's a, it's a really trusting journey that you're going on because you really don't know the end point or the point where you're going to feel like a different person and have a different relationship with food and exercise. So there's a lot of trust and patience that goes into it. And it's not something that you can necessarily say, and I don't know if this is kind of what Jesse agrees that there's like, there's probably more steps to it than I'm really guiding you on right now. But for me, it was kind of like this remove restriction experience, this new relationship and develop it because it takes a lot of time to develop it. And it's slow and you're going to have a bunch of setbacks, but eventually you get to this new place where things really have changed. And it's not like all of a sudden you've reached the other side. It's a really slow process. And it definitely isn't something that you implement tomorrow. And all of a sudden you can tell the difference between those healthy relationships and those unhealthy relationships or decisions. It's just kind of this big process that takes a lot of time to get through. Thanks. 
Great, thanks Sam for that. Um, next question. What's one piece of advice that most changed your mindset and relationship with your body, food in a positive way? I'm gonna talk again, cause I actually have one. Um, one thing that I really admire, especially in people that I look up to is their ability to embrace change, especially through age. Uh, that's something that I didn't even think about until I hit basically my thirties, because when you're young, you don't have wrinkles, like things are just a little different. And I was only consumed with how my body was changing uh, in like a, a weight loss, weight gain in that, in, in kind of that category. But like when I started looking up to like older women, particularly like even actresses who really embrace their bodies as they change, like that's something that's really motivated and inspired me to do the same and to work on my relationship with change over time, because your body is never going to stop changing. It's, you know, you're going to experience weight gain, you're going to experience weight loss, you're going to get wrinkles, your hair color is going to change, like there's all these things. And that is such a luxury that we get to experience because the human experience isn't it's not forever. It's not infinite. It's a short period of time. And one thing I've experienced also through, also through loss is that appreciation for the time that we have and the ability to embrace change as your body gets older, because that is a luxury. Not everybody gets to experience that. So that's really helped kind of transform how I look at aging and also body transformations as well. The biggest thing, not it's not a piece of advice that someone told me per se, but I have to say my relationship with food and foods that I had deemed off limits really changed when things in New York City, I had quarantined there, really started opening up and people were dining out on the streets and there were, it was summer and it was French fries and margaritas. And I really just went for it because I had quarantined for so long and I was really just seeking pleasure. And during this time of now being so alone for so for three and a half months and then now being surrounded with community and safely eating outside and enjoying all these foods that I typically don't or save for special occasions, eventually it kind of just like found its own equilibrium. And I wasn't really like, I forget who was saying it before. Was it Sam or who was saying about uh, Jesse about food? Um, giving them this like really grandeur power. Um, it took that power away. And I found this equilibrium of sometimes like now I feel like having a few, like some French fries, maybe even a whole thing. And other times if they're around, like I don't feel like it. Um, and there was a time that I could just sit at a table and stare at the people eating fries. Like, how could they do that? Like, they're so lucky they could eat that and they're smiling and I wonder what they're thinking. And it was like this whole thing going through my mind. And um, it really helped going through the, the COVID times it, that really, that experience helped me a lot. Love that Shauna. Um, my advice would really be geared more towards your relationship with fitness and moving your body. I think for me, something that I struggled with, um, was I just had all of the wrong motives for wanting to move my body for such a long time. I was just looking to seek a physical change or change physical attributes about myself. And I really like hit rock bottom with myself in that place. 
And you have to really be honest with yourself. And I know I kind of talked about this a few times now about connecting with your why, like, why do you want to move your body? Is it just because you want to look different and you think that some happiness or confidence is going to come from that? Or is it because you want to be the best version of yourself? You want to be strong. You want to be healthy. You want longevity in your life. You want to sleep better. You want to be in a better mood. You want to have more energy. There's so many other benefits that are so much more important. And if you can connect back to that, I just feel like it changes your mindset with, with moving your body, with fitness, with exercise. For me now, I look at it every day, kind of like what Sam was saying before. It's such a blessing to be able to wake up and have the ability to move my body every day. It does so much for me. To me, it's such a celebration. And I'm like, wow, my body is capable of so much rather than just looking in the mirror and hating everything about my body and wanting to change everything about it. So really focusing on shifting your mindset in terms of what your why is uh, when you move your body. And I think also that's where my motivation comes from too. When I'm feeling unmotivated to work out, I'm like, okay, but why do I want to move my body? Not because I'm like, oh, I want to fit into this dress, but I want to be energized. I want to turn my mood around, whatever it may be. You don't ever work out and then afterwards be like, shit, I'm so pissed that I did that, you know? <laughs> so just, yeah, switching that mindset was really such a game changer for me. Awesome. Next question. We have so many, so I'm just going to keep rolling. Um, I'd love to hear any tips of overcoming the fear of what others think about me starting my own business. Mm, yeah, I have a good one. Um, or at least it was powerful for me. And that was um, reminding myself that uh, what others think about me is none of my business. And releasing myself from that, knowing that other people are going to think a whole bunch of different things, but what I think about myself is really the most important. And, and as long as I have even just a small support system, that's really all that matters. People are going to judge you. People are going to think all different things. And, um, you have to go to bed at night with you and to sit and operate, you know, and, and operate your life from a place of fear is no way to live. And when you're feeling the fear and you're feeling the adrenaline of doing something that, you know, where you're putting yourself out there, I think for me, what that signals and what I've, the meaning I've attached to that feeling is I'm living life. I'm a badass because I'm scared and I'm nervous and I'm leaning into the fear and you can do things scared. And that's what I remind myself when I'm feeling fear. I'm like, Oh, it's okay. You can do things scared. And so instead of trying to always push away fear, I try and redirect fear and change my relationship to fear knowing that it's okay to feel that way. Um, and it, for me, I, I just let it signal that I'm, I'm actually living. I love that. Jesse what did you say going, you can, you can do things in fear is amazing. Hmm. I think for me, my guiding light is knowing that if I didn't go for it, I would be so sad and it wouldn't feel like a, a well-lived life for me. So there's that fear of actually just not doing it and regretting it or always wondering why. So I just go all in. Um, if you guys are curious, Brene Brown's work has really helped me a lot to, for overcoming those thoughts and her book, Daring Greatly, basically is talking about, it's from a quote from uh, Theodore Roosevelt that if you're not in the arena, arena, getting knocked down and getting your ass kicked, then you really can't say anything. You're not the one going out there and, and putting yourself out there and taking risks and living in fear. So all of 
all of those people like good luck to you but i'm i'm doing it and i'm i'm getting beaten up and i'm really going for it and i'm living my best life and i'm i'm trying Great. Um, I love this question because I think so many women especially have a hard time with this. Um, it reads, how do you suggest balancing having fitness goals and staying focused on workouts slash nutrition, but still listening to your body and eating slash exercise intuitively? I'll share um, some perspective. Um, the balance I think comes in understanding priorities. And I really like to evaluate where my priorities and where my values are at. And knowing that things don't have to be perfect in order for them to be really beautiful. Our journey with health, our journey with being in you know, intuitive, um, and connected to our bodies, our journey with, you know, paying attention to and giving energy to, you know, workouts and nutrition. It doesn't have to be perfect to be totally beautiful and to produce a lot of health and, and for us to thrive. And so I think the balance, um, when we look at our priorities, we look at our values, we have to recognize we can't have all these different priorities that line up as number one. And for me, when I was so deep in my eating disorder and I was focusing so much on counting every gram of protein, you know, carbon fat that I put in my mouth and doing these two to three hour long workouts and, you know, was living on cardio equipment, you know, my, those were my priorities and values. And if I were to go to my deathbed with that being my number one priority and value, I know I would have had so much regret because I would have looked back and realized, wow, I missed out on this spontaneous date night opportunity. And I missed out on the holidays. And, you know, I had to, I had to really get clear on what my values and priorities were and say, you know what, I do value health and I do value value fitness. But if my mom comes into town and she asks me to go out to eat, I value that more. And I have to know that that's my, my family is my value above working out. So when they're competing with one another, I can easily say, yeah, absolutely. I'll, you know, I'll skip this workout to go out to eat with you or to go spend time with you. And that's really helped me understand how to be, I think a little more intuitive because I know my values. So I know how to make decisions now in a way that's feels super aligned. And so for me personally, that's how I balance things. I know that health and fitness is a priority, but I also know that spending time with family and, you know, and focusing on other areas of self-care is really important to me. And they all can't be competing and time is limited. So how do I balance the time spent in, you know, in each, each of my values and priorities? I love that. One thing I would add is and this is something that I used to do when I competed as well. Like every day was either a win or a loss. Either I hit my macros and I did my workouts or I didn't. And I never let myself fail. Uh, but when it comes to living a healthy lifestyle, each day doesn't have to be a win or a loss. Like it's a much grander perspective that I now take in terms of my approach to health and fitness and wellness and all that. It's much more than just any day. Balance exists at varying different levels throughout your weeks and your months. It's always changing. It's never 50-50 every single day. It's something that ebbs and flows across your weeks, months, years, and so on. So it's never always gonna be perfectly balanced. You're gonna have some days where you go out to eat instead of making food at home. 
and that's perfectly okay. It's same thing with skipping workouts. There's gonna be days, even maybe weeks that are more unbalanced in that direction. And that's okay because life isn't just a series of wins and losses. Balance happens across a greater, greater period of time. I'll just piggyback off of that a little bit too. I think a lot of people, when you think about setting goals and whether it was fitness or with eating, um, that intuitive eating or intuitive exercise would take away from that. And I mean, for me personally, intuitive eating and exercise is the goal. Everyone's goals are different. Um, but I think a lot of people associate reaching goals with having to do things that are restrictive or be extreme. And I'm a, a very big advocate for you don't need to be extreme. You just need to be consistent. So your consistency is what's going to get you to those goals, not, not being extreme. So, um, I think just keeping that in mind is really important. And like I said, everyone's goals are different for me, being able to get to a place in my life where I can eat intuitively and exercise intuitively is the goal. And so I guess for me, it's a little kind of a gray area in terms of like balancing the two, because that was the goal for me. Maybe that's not the goal for you. That's okay. But yeah, I think just remembering that that's not going to take away from you reaching your goals. Just keep showing up. Just keep being consistent. Keep giving yourself grace. You don't need to be extreme. Lindsay, you sparked something for me. I love what you, everyone shared. For me, it's having that, it's not so much having the balance. Lindsay, remind me what you guys is getting late here on the East Coast and my mind starts shutting down. <laughs> remind me what you just, you're ending about, um, what your goal is. Oh, I was just saying that for me, my goal is to be able to get to the place where I can eat intuitively and exercise intuitively, rather than thinking that I have to balance that with reaching my goals, that that's going to take away from me reaching my goals. Yeah. My goals have been being consistent. And I think once we start to really for me, when I focus on what feels good in my life, so eating a specific way within my methodology that I teach, moving my body in ways that I love and make me feel strong and empowered and I start to crave, I focus on that and I crowd out all the other things. And I think living in a world of Instagram and having all these messages all the time is really difficult because we start to confuse ourselves with what actually like what Jesse said, what our own values are. And it starts to like crowd into our mind is our own thoughts or our own goals, what other people are sharing. And sometimes just crowding all that out and really getting like super focused on what your goals are and what makes you feel the best will keep you guiding down your path in the direction that you want to be going. Amazing guys. Thank you so much again for answering all of these questions. I do have plenty left, but we are at that time. I do want to speak on behalf of all of you and say that if you guys have a question that you wanted to ask e either of our panelists, you can DM them. I'm sure that that would be okay with all of you guys. Um, I also wanted to link um, the opportunity to shop our hashtag no filter sweat set. I'm currently wearing it. It's really cute. It says everybody and then self-love club. Um, and you can get the opportunity to win um, a sweat set in our newest Instagram where you get to follow all these amazing women um, and you might win this. So that's really fun. Thank you panelists so, so much. Like I said, if you guys have any questions, feel free, please follow them, show them some love. Um, and thank you guys so much for donating in your time. It's been amazingly fun tonight chatting with all of you.
Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, I'm going to take, take a photo really fast. Everybody okay. smile. Okay, cool. Thanks. Wait, <laughs> I totally forgot that I need one too. <laughs> a screenshot on the screen. Okay. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's I'm true. I'll some. do that too. <laughs> smile. Okay, cute. Now I'm going to do a screenshot and then I'll leave you guys alone. <laughs> Cute. Thank you guys so much. It's been so, so, so fun. Guys, please show them some love. I've um, tagged them in the chat. Go stalk their Instagrams. They're all amazing. And hope you guys have a great night. Bye, you guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.